Amen. Good morning, church. Go ahead, take a seat and bow your head in prayer with me. Father, you are good and we love you. We're thankful to you. We pray, Father, that this morning you would um, pour out your grace upon each and every one of us. And Father, I pray that we would become more gracious people, more generous people in response to the goodness and the love that you have for us. So bless our time together as we look at the scripture. Meet us, help us, guide us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. Um, uh, as uh, Tina and Jackie said on um, 9-11, uh, we are going to have a special Sunday. We're going to have a Better Together Sunday. So we are going to be uh, launching life groups that week. We're going to have a food truck. We're going to have some other fun things going on. So make sure you got that on your calendar. And it's a great opportunity uh, to invite a friend. And kind of the, the theme of that day is that it's, it's really hard to do life alone. And we are not meant to do that. And we need the reminder, we need the encouragement that, that God calls us to do this, this thing called life together. So we're going to make a big deal about that. So that's uh, in a couple weeks. So make sure you got that on your calendar. But today we're going to start a new sermon series in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So we're going to be here for a couple weeks, and we're going to talk about this idea of, of generosity. Uh, but before we get into it, one of the, the best books that I've read this last year is called The Body Keeps Score. Has anyone read this book? The Body Keeps Score. If you've read it online, just let us know, okay? And we're proud of you. Proud of you because it's like 700 pages, all right? So it's, it's a long one. You got to put some effort in. But it's a, it's a really fascinating book, and it's about how to deal with, with trauma and, you know, those life experiences that, uh, that really, you know, hurt us and, and shape us. And one of the ideas of that book is that, you know, trauma is not just something that impacts you psychologically, but it impacts you physically too. And sometimes the way that we have to get out of it is not just dealing with the mind, but dealing with the body also. Because trauma has all these physiological components to it. You know, your, your uh, chest is tight, your stomach is in knots, your, your blood pressure is up. And, and sometimes before you can even unpack the reality of your mind, you've got to kind of reconnect to your body and, and kind of work through some of those. And, um, and it just was a really interesting read. You know, I'm, I've been enjoying learning a lot about all this stuff, but it also is like, wow, you're really messed up, man. You know, that's, so it's kind of like dual-edged sword reading some of these books. Uh, but it really, it really is a great read. And it, it's amazing um, the things that shape us. You know, not, not just our minds and our bodies, uh, but, but all of who we are. And the good news is, is that pain is not the only thing that can profoundly shape us. Like, that, that's the good news that I want to share today, because what we're going to see is that God's grace can shape us in even more profound ways. Does pain shape us in life? Yes, of course it does. We all know that. We've all probably been shaped by that uh, in maybe some ways that are, are really challenging and difficult, but maybe some ways that, that we've learned to overcome. But the good news today is that there is an even greater force that can shape us, 
and it is the grace of God. And so today, as we look at 2 Corinthians, we're going to kind of look at this question of what does it look like when God shapes someone? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I'm a pastor, so I have all week long to think about questions like this, you know, while, while you're working and doing stuff. I'm like, hmm, I wonder, what is the nature of humanness, you know? But, uh, but if, you, if you've never thought about that, what does it look like to be shaped by God? Like, what, what should that produce in our life? That's what 2 Corinthians 8 is going to show us. That if I'm encountering God, because we've all met people that say they encounter God, but then they're shaped in a way you're like, well, if that's what it looks like, I'm not so sure I'm interested in that, right? We, we've all seen that. Hopefully we haven't been those people, but maybe we have on our bad days. But what does it look like when God really shapes it? When God is really influential in, in the development of who we are, what does it look like? And one of the things that we're going to see in, the, in 2 Corinthians is that it, it creates a more generous approach to life. And I don't just mean generous financially. I mean generous in our spirit. I mean generous in our time. I mean generous in our praise. I, it, it, it is a, a lifestyle of looking at life from the abundance that God has given me to be able to offer something to others. You with me on this, church? So let's look at this text, and, and let's begin to dig in. We're going to look at the first five verses today, and here's how it goes. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the great apostle Paul, he wrote these um, words, and this was a letter written to the church of Corinth, so an ancient Greek city. And he says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So this is another region of the ancient world. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. If you have a Bible, you're taking notes, just circle, underline the grace of God. Because that, that phrase right here, that is the, the context, the anchor of everything that's going to be said through the rest of this chapter. That what he is going to explain is what it looks like when the grace of God is at work. Then he goes on, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I love that verse because look at the combination, extreme poverty and abundant joy. I wouldn't usually put those together. How about you? Extreme poverty and frustration. That would make sense. Extreme poverty and hopelessness, I could get behind that. Extreme poverty and fear, but extreme poverty and abundance of joy. And then what it create an overflow and a wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, but then, and then, by the will of God to us. Now, kind of the context here is that there is a, another church that was struggling through famine and, and a difficult time. And the Macedonian church, they said, hey, we don't have much, but what we have, we are going to give to help them. And Paul looked at that act, and he is praising them for it. And he's like, man, I, I see the grace of God shaping you in this act, in this way, 
that you helped that church. And so, so that's the context. But I think the big idea that we see in these verses is that when God pours out his grace and when we receive it and experience it in our lives, it produces a generous approach to life in us. When, when we connect to God's grace, it creates a deeper generosity in us. And so that's what we're going to talk about over these next couple weeks. Now, I think it's always good to define what we mean by that word generosity. And interestingly enough, the kind of early uh, versions of this that we see in English, just to give you, can I bore you with a little like etymology and history here? Is that, I mean, you're used to it by now, right? Come on. Um, so the, the beginning use of this word was actually just a word that was used to talk about the aristocratic class, you know, or the noble class. So that, that's the beginning. Like, so generous in that sense is that you were part of the nobility. You know, your, your family line was, was important. You were, you were a Kennedy or a uh, Vanderbilt or, or whatever. You were, you know, of the elite. So that was the beginning of it. Then the word began to morph a little bit, and it meant that you weren't necessarily part of this elite family, this royal family, noble family, but you had a noble spirit. And you acted in ways that were sort of dignified and noble. And then it began to take on the meaning of abundance and giving kind of more of how we know it today. But I think that's really fascinating, don't you? I love that idea of generosity is a noble spirit. That when God, God's grace comes into our life, it makes us more noble in how we live our lives. I think that's cool. You're not impressed with that at all. I see that, but I thought that was cool. And, and interestingly enough, generosity is, is also something that adds value to our lives. So there was a, a Notre Dame study done called the Science of Generosity Initiative, and I just want to share some findings with you from it. Number one, they found that there's a correlation between generosity and happiness, health, and purpose. So, and this, is, this was a study, you know, within the confines of America, but when Americans are more generous, it, it correlates to higher degrees of happiness, health, and purpose which is pretty cool, right? Because who doesn't want more happiness, health, and purpose? I'll sign up for that. Um, so generosity correlates to that. It also correlates to well-being, um, that those who practice more generous habits have a higher level of well-being. But then here was the last finding, that many, even though these things are true, many Americans fail to live a generous life. So we see these things are true, but it still it is hard to, to practice it sometimes. I bought Jovan lunch this week. It was really hard for me. It was super, but that's super generous of, you know. <laughs> I get it. The struggle is real. So, so how, do we, how do we begin to, to grow in this? And, and what, what does this look like in our lives? Well, let's, let's just kind of begin with these verses here today. The beginning point of this is always the grace of God. That's what it's about. At the end of the day, as I receive from God, it makes me live life from a deeper sense of strength, of abundance, and of well-being. 
I have something to give because I'm, I'm receiving from the overflow of who God is. You with me on this? And this is where this, these verses begin, the grace of God. Now, if you look through the letter of uh, Corinthians, you will see Paul reference the grace of God all the time. And I just want to tease out what he means by that a little bit. What, what does the grace of God mean? How do we understand it? Well, first of all, Paul shows us that God is a God that is extending grace more and more to all people. So I want you to just ask yourself what your view of God is today. Do you see a God that is really stingy? You know, like he's stingy with blessing, like you, you've got you've to twist his arm in prayer for him to help you? Do you see a God that's volatile and, and angry and, you know, you got to keep on the straight and narrow or else you're going to, you know, you're going to get it. He's going to get you. Um, what, what do we say? Paul says, no, man, God is gracious. He is inviting more and more people into forgiveness, into love, into help, into his strength. And then he says, also, God's grace means that all the biblical promises, all the ways that God promises to help, to bless, to meet us in our time of need, all of those, Paul says, find their yes in Jesus Christ. What that means is the full blessing that God has, he wants to give you through Jesus Christ, and he's already said, like, yes, I'm giving it to you. It's yours in Jesus Christ. This is a pretty awesome promise. Third, we see that the grace of God makes us new creations. We can break free from who we were and become who God wants us to be. Do you ever get haunted by your past? We all do, right? That's a dumb question. Of course you do. I know you do. So do I. We, we all do, right? Here's the beautiful promise of God's grace. We become new creations through it. Not because we clean up all that, not because we write all of that, but because that's God's grace. Grace means he treats us better than we deserve. I don't deserve to become a new creation. I don't deserve God's just blessing and giving me clean slate after clean slate, but that's what grace does for us. And we become new creations. And then lastly, Jesus is the center of God's grace. He's the one that atones for all our sins, all our brokenness, all our failures. Right? You, you, don't, have to, you don't have to fix yourself and then come to God. Jesus went to the cross to completely forgive us. Jesus stands before the Father and he says, all my righteousness is on this person. Not that they always live righteously, but, but still, you're going to look at them and see them that way because of my work on their behalf. And, and that's the grace of God, church. That's, that's what we get to live in and experience and understand in our connection with God. You with me on this? This is profound stuff. And so what we ultimately have to see is that God is infinitely generous to you. He is. He is infinitely generous. 
in his spirit, in his forgiveness, in his love, in his help, in his presence, in all of these things. He is infinitely generous. And I can, I can never really, I don't think, be the full generous person that God wants to be, me to be until I learn to receive that grace first. Until I learn to understand God in that way and see him that way. Only then can I approach life differently. And so let me just give you a quick thought. How do you, how do you receive God's grace? Just three quick ideas. Number one, you have to understand it. You have to understand that today, you and I, we are not in a works relationship with God. Where, hey, if I have a good week, God's like, hey, good job. Now I'm going to help you out. But last week was terrible. So I, I took my help away. Right? If, if we live in that understanding of our relationship with God, our relationship with God is not going to go anywhere. We're going to be deeply insecure. We're going to always keep God at a distance. And, and we're never going to fully understand who God actually is. You with me on this? But I've thought that before anyone else. I've been in that, in that game where it's like, oh, you know, i got to balance this all out. But again, if you're really honest, the balance does not work out well, Right? It doesn't work, and, and that's not receiving the grace of God. So I have to understand it. It's not about performance. It's not about what I can do or what I can't do. I've got to understand that intellectually. But then second, I have to see it as a personal offer to me. See, sometimes it's easy to believe God can forgive someone else. It's hard to believe God can forgive me. Many of us are like, yeah, I, I believe God can forgive this person and they can make him, you know, a, a new creation. They can give him a fresh start. But I'm not sure I believe it for me. And receiving the grace of God is realizing that it is for you. It is for you. And then we have to receive it. We have to ask for it. We have to open our hearts to it. And it can begin to work in our lives. You with me on this, church? And as we receive it, it enables us to live a little bit differently. And let me just talk about what we see in this passage. First of all, we see that as, as this church receives the grace of God, there's some cool things that happen. Number one, they go through this time of testing and they become better for it. They become better for it. Paul says, in a severe test of affliction. Life has a way of testing us, doesn't it? Now, this word test here is not, you know, here's the exam. Let's see if you get A, B, C, D, or F on it. But it's, it's the idea of like when metal is tested and, uh, and the impurities are brought out and then that, that metal is shown to be, you know, able to support the weight that it needs to support or endure the challenge that, that it's meant to endure. So it's a testing towards approval, towards preparedness for the task at hand. And God uses affliction to make us more of who he wants us to be. I, I wish God always just used like lemonade and cookies to make us who he wants us to be, but he uses a lot of affliction in life, a lot of, of challenge. And when, when the grace of God is, is operating in us and we go through those challenges with his grace, by his grace, we're able to come out on the other side of those 
and actually be better. See, all of us, we know we're going to have tests. We're going to have challenges. And we can go through them one of two ways. We can become better or we can become worse. And the thing that allows us to really become better is when we deeply connect to the grace of God through it. And that's what this church did. And it was awesome. Here's the second thing. That the grace of God, it, it creates different responses, unusual responses in us. See, they, they face extreme poverty, but then they responded with abundant joy, and it made an overflow of generosity. I don't know why my mind thinks about that as a math equation. No idea why. I hate math completely. But, but that's where my mind goes. Like, you add extreme poverty plus abundant joy and that equals an overflow wealth of generosity. I'm like, that math doesn't really make sense, you know? That, that's an unusual pairing, isn't it? And when God's grace is at work within us, we can respond to really challenging, you know, stimuluses in life with grace-fueled responses that create amazing outcomes. Like maybe you have a really challenging situation at work and how easy is it to face ugly with ugly responses? How easy is it to fight fire with fire? You know, these people maybe are, are treating me like this, so what am I going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it right back to them. Or maybe that's just easy for me. Y'all don't seem to be with me on that one. <laughs> but what grace does, it allows us to respond differently and create a different and better outcome. And then look at these, these last two ones. The grace of God, it compels them to serve beyond their capacity. It said, man, they, they gave beyond their means. Beyond their means. They just, they were, they wanted to help. And Paul says they were begging him for the chance to help. They weren't doing it out of obligation, but out of authentic desire. You know, God Church, he doesn't need our help. He doesn't need what we can give him, right? God has everything. He's fully content. He's fully satisfied. He's fully sufficient, all this kind of thing. And, and God does not need our begrudging service to him. All right, I, I don't, I don't want to do this. But I got to serve God. So, you know, it, that... That serving out of guilt, that serving out of obligation, it doesn't honor God and it doesn't really help us. But as we interact with the grace of God, we serve God more out of desire, more out of willingness than anything else. And I will say, man, this church is amazing at that. Last Sunday, Jovan was preaching, so it's, it's always fun when he's preaching because I could just kind of walk around and see what's happening in the kids' room and in the student ministry. And as I was walking around and seeing everyone, I, I walked first to the nursery room, and there was about 800 babies and climbing <laughs> all over these poor volunteers. Like, and I just like, I didn't even have words. I was just like, thank you for what you do. Uh, you are amazing. And, and they were just like, and they're just loving on our babies, the, the, the best set with everything that they had and, and keeping them safe and creating a, a great environment for them. And, you know, they're doing that out of the desire of their heart. 
just to, to love God. And, so, and I was like, this is so awesome. And in every room I walked by, in every ministry, it just, I just felt like these incredible hearts that are just here at our church to serve God, not because they have to, but because they want to. And church, it was awesome. We have a visitation team, and I was talking to some of that team. They go and um, if people are in the hospital, they go see them. They also visit some nursing homes in the area. And, you know, we, we know that a lot of people in nursing homes don't get many visitors. And there's many people that can be in there for years and have no one come and see them. And this team will go and see those people and talk to them and just try to build friendships with them and, and just bring some light to their life. And, and they tell me about this and they're, they're excited to do it. They feel like a sense of privilege from God to do it. And to me, I'm like, that's what Paul is talking about right here. It, it's that, that willingness to serve, that desire to say, I want to give what God has given to me to others. And it's beautiful. And church, I think you, you guys do an amazing job of that. I think you live this out. And I think we need to keep living it out and keep serving God from that place of joy and abundance and keep seeking to bless others because it is an inspiring thing. I watch you and I'm like, I think I could do better on that. <laughs> I, think I, could, I think I need to push myself uh, a, a little bit more on it uh, because it is, it is awesome. And then this last part, Paul said they first gave themselves to God and then to others. They first gave themselves to God and then to others. They first opened their hearts and their minds to God, and then they were able to bless others. And so today, I just want to leave you with three challenges today, three generosity challenges. Here they are. Number one, be generous behind people's backs. I think a good starting point for living a generous life is actually trying to bless people that we might want to not bless behind their backs. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, some of these challenges might be a little bit out of left field, so you can take them or leave them, but these are, these are the ones I'm rolling with today. Be generous behind people's backs. I, I find in our culture, and maybe you have, there is so much of this cancel culture. There is so much of let's pile on when people make mistakes. Let's pile on. Let's disassociate. Let's, you know, let's just kind of um, throw more ugliness on top of these situations. And I think it is so anti-grace of God approach. I believe that as far as a Christ, man, what do we believe in above all? Forgiveness, <laughs> love. And I don't want to stop believing in that because I need it. I, I want to I keep raising that issue as, as our great flag of God's forgiveness and love for us. And I think one of the ways we live it out, church, is by being people that are generous behind others' backs. That we, we try to bless them. We try to build them up. We try to honor them. When people make mistakes, we're the first ones to be and offer a helping hand. You with me on this, church? Be generous that way. Second, be generous with our family. I think sometimes in life we give our families our leftovers if we're not careful. Some of us maybe we're so devoted to our work and that's a really good thing, 
But the bad side of it, the shadow side, is that those who we love the most, who are going to be there long after work is done, sometimes they get the leftovers. Maybe I'm the only one here. I need some sinners to talk to this morning, all right? I need some broken people. Um, And sometimes they get the least that we have to offer. And so for some of us, I want to challenge you, be generous with your family this week. Take them to Applebee's. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Taco Bell. And kids, you don't have to pick the dollar menu. You know, really wow them here. (laughs) No, be generous, whatever that looks like. Be generous. Be splurge. And, And be generous with your time. Be generous with your attention. I was, Emery and I were, were together. This was, this was a bad moment. And, and we were, it was just me and her. And uh, she's three and a half. And so we were sitting there and she was like coloring. And she goes, Daddy, put your phone down. And I was like, yeah. That's, okay, calm down a little bit. Holy. Go back to number one up here. Man, what have we been talking? How about some grace? Talk about piling on. But she said that. I was, I was, it really, it did shine. I was like, oh man, this is not good. Be generous with your attention. She's three and a half. It's like, how do you know? All- I, anyway, pray for me. But we need to, honestly, we need to be generous with our family. I said years, <laughs> sorry, cracking myself up. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Be generous with our families. <laughs> the grace of God. Sometimes you got no one to not speak to, learning that. Generous with our families. And then here's the, here's the last challenge today. Be generous with yourself. Now, I know that might sound antithetical to everything I've been saying. But, but just hear me out on this, and you can decide if this is a good idea or not. But here's what, what I feel like in our church, and maybe this is unique to our church, but I feel like this is a church that is quick to forgive others, quick to help others, but very slow to receive that forgiveness for themselves, to receive grace for themselves. I believe, church, you're very good at giving grace, and I, I've seen that, and I love that, and we should, we should not stop doing that. We should always default to grace, because that's, that's where this all comes from. But what I find many times is that we struggle to receive that grace very, very personally. And sometimes I think then because we struggle to receive it for ourselves, we have less to give others. I'm a big believer that you cannot give what you do not have. And to become people who have more to give, you have to receive more from God. You with me on this? And, and I think church sometimes... Uh, for, you know, probably noble intentions, we, we cut ourselves off from the love, the forgiveness, and the grace that God wants to pour into our lives. We cut ourselves off from it. We, we cut ourselves off from it in our shame, in our struggle to be better and to grow. And I think one thing that we need to learn is just to receive this incredible gift of grace, mercy, and love that God wants to give you. Some of us, man, we, we've got to learn to honestly 
talk to ourselves in different ways. Because the way we talk to ourselves, we would never talk to anyone else that way. Never do it. But yet it seems perfectly fine in our own mind, in our own heart. And I wonder if that is actually becoming a barrier to receiving God's grace and God's help and God's gift to us in Jesus Christ. You with me? Jordan Peterson, he has this interesting thing that he, he writes about. He talks in uh, one of his Rules for Life about how people are much better at um, giving medication to their pets. Here, this will sound weird, but hopefully it'll come around. People are better at feeling and properly administering prescription medications to their pets than themselves. That's not good. Even from your pet's perspective, it's not good. Your pet probably loves you, would be happier if you took your medication. If you're alive, if you're healthy, it's difficult to conclude anything from this set of facts except that people appear to love their dogs, cats, ferrets, birds more than themselves. How horrible is that? How much shame must exist? Something like that to be true. What could it be about people that makes them prefer them pets to themselves? Now, it's a weird example, but I think there's something to it. He's saying, how can we have Sometimes this, this level of self-hatred. Now, I know we all know some people that love themselves too much. I get that. And, and we'll talk about them another time. But I just want to hit some of us today that just really need to receive the fullness of God's love. I just really need to just, verse 1 here, just let the grace of God wash over your life. We've all got issues. We've all got mistakes in our life. We've all got stupidity. We've all got regret. We've all got struggles today. We've all got imperfections. We, we've all got that. But guess what? God's grace is bigger than all of that. And that doesn't mean we become lackadaisical and we just say, all right, well, whatever. No, but it does mean we receive that great love that he wants to pour into our lives. So then we can pour into other people's lives something good and something healthy. You with me on this? And today, and maybe you've received the goodness and love of Christ before in your life, but I want to ask you today just to receive it in a fresh way again. Just like maybe that first time you went to Christ and you were like, I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need your patience. Let's just go to him again today and say, I need it again. And I need a fresh wave of it. I need a new experience of it because I want to be able to give something better to those around me. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful that you are a God of grace. Father, you're a God who continually treats us better than we deserve. Father, you're a God who forgives us, who makes us righteous in your sight. Father, who is always working for our good, even, Lord, through our thousands of fumbles and missteps and struggles. And so, Lord, we just thank you for that. We just want to receive a fresh wave of your grace today, a fresh wave of forgiveness, a fresh wave of love, a fresh wave of acceptance and peace, Lord. We know we can never be able to give to others what you're asking until we fully received what you want to give to us. So help us to receive it in the deepest parts of our heart. And I pray it would shape us 
towards your kingdom, towards your purposes. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.